you're off on a journey in the high desert on your way to Utah. <clears throat> and uh, as you drive through the high desert there, there's a sign that says, Tedious Thoughts, the next 200 miles. <laughs> no. It's kind of the way this works, you know. So, I wrote you a poem today. Mindfulness. Where was I? Dancing on some distant past, hoping, believing, this reminiscing could ultimately change my past and empower the future magically. Oh no, there I am, messing with my life again, giving myself a headache, believing in this ultimate solution. What kind of balderdash is this? Knowing somehow this is not the practice. Tiger chasing tail, going in mental circles endlessly, trying to outthink my own thinking. How much simpler could it be? Letting go of one's thoughts, mindful of these holy presences, weaving forgetfulness with this remembering. Suddenly, the little baby turkey chicks, weaving themselves through the windy tall grass, illuminating the joy the one who is fully present, having known what to do all along, yielding everything to the present. So, it was great. I was going over, I'm going to write something. I was going to create something. And I started walking up the stairs of... Uh, the first building there and got up to the top of the stairs and I looked over the side and there was a mom and there were all these little chicks, you know, kind of running around and I was going, gosh, why am I trying to make things up? <laughs> you know, there is this miracle that's happening there. The day on my way here, and I guess there are some around, that I saw two little spotted does that were the only about this big, you know, it's so cute. It's such a miracle, you know, that uh, this coming together like this and uh, uh, actually creating uh, a kind of sensitivity uh, that hopefully, you know, you, you kind of churn through your own stories. You know, and in some ways I think, uh, you know, Chogyam Trumpa used to say that you just, you had to wear them out like the soles of a shoe, you know. So, uh, sorry about that. You know, uh, you're just going to have to, you know, keep reminding yourself, oh, where am I? You know. So um, I think I'm going to start here. I'm going to kind of go into um, somewhat just a review from last night. But I want to start just a little storytelling because 
I, I was kind of hit today. You know, it's been two and a half weeks since the earthquake in Nepal, and uh, which was ferocious. And I spent four years in Nepal and um, have pretty much trekked. The Himalayas have been my love um, all my life, you know. And um, today, well, actually, today's Wednesday there, but Tuesday, yesterday, there was another earthquake, a 7.3 on the Richter scale, you know, and then an aftershock, a 6.7. So it's just, you know, how hard can it get? You know, and, um, you know, I was thinking, uh, Mary Grace and I, who were mentioning it today, we were down in Yucca Valley at a retreat, I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, at a retreat like this, and there was a big earthquake. And uh, what <laughs> she mentioned was that we were outside, and, and um, there was a, a, a concrete overhang. And uh, so Mary and I were standing right by the door, and as the earthquake started, I took and I pushed Mary Grace into the bushes. I mean, like, you know, five feet. <laughs> Six. Oh, I threw me. Oh, excuse me. I threw her into the bushes, you know? And uh, I'm just being mindful. <laughs> so... Anyway, tonight, uh, first of all, maybe I just finish this because my life has been pretty much a pilgrimage. And uh, when I, you know, started out in, in uh, I came to California and, and I went to see Suzuki Roshi and I went to the Blue Mountain Meditation Center and, you know, the, the Zen was a little too tight for me. And Hare Krishna was a little too loose for me. So I was really trying to find the middle way for me. <laughs> but that means that I got involved in a, a group in the 1968 called the Floating Lotus Magic Opera Company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, come at 60s, you know? <laughs> but, you know, they really um, convinced me that uh, it would be time uh, to take a really a long trip, you know? And maybe I wouldn't come back from it, which I don't think I actually did. But <laughs> <laughs> So I took off on this journey and uh, sort of took me, you know, from Berkeley to London and then hitchhiked through Europe and then overland to India. And um, when I first arrived there, uh, there was... Uh, a Tibetan, uh, Western Tibetan nun I met, and uh, Frida Beatty, she was like the first of the um, Western Tibetan nuns. And she was kind of a mystic. And she said, you know, you have to go to Kathmandu. So I said, oh yes, that sounds good. I'll do it. So, you know, overland and the buses, and it was pretty uh, rough in those days, but, you know, I'd made it all the way uh, public transportation across you know, Turkey and uh, Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan and, and India. And so when I got there, I said, oh, the first thing was, you know, uh, I'll go into the mountains. And so 
I went up into the Annapurna. In those days, you had to, uh, to get to Pokhara, where you started the, the trek, you took an old DC-3, you know, and the DC-3s had no, and these were, I don't know if you know what a DC-3 in is, it kind of dates me, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a two-propeller prop plane, uh, and they gutted it, so there's no seats in it, but there'd be bags of rice and goat and, you know, sort of all the menagerie of, of uh, travel in those days. And then you started walking from there. And uh, we went up, uh, as with a friend, we went up into the mountains, and uh, it was so inspiring in the sense of uh, there's something about that land, about those mountains, and maybe it is because it's on this incredible fault where the whole Indian continent has smashed into the Eurasia continent, and those mountains have popped up. You know, there's something uh, young and powerful, and, um, you know, also those mountains, fearful of those mountains. And so on my way back, uh, I had heard that uh, there was a great teacher, the 16th Karmapa, coming to Kathmandu, uh, and came once every 12 years. And um, as I came down, I came into this little valley. And this little valley, um, there was a, a kind of platform like this, and there was this uh, long-haired uh, lama sitting on this um, platform with uh, all these Tibetan, almost tribe, tribal people, you know, that had come out of the mountains. And they were all on pilgrimage. Uh, to go uh, to uh, get blessing and, and uh, meet the 16th Karmapa. So it was my first kind of connection with um, a, a different kind of uh, faith that was uh, so instinctive and inherent uh, and actually gave me confidence to actually uh, look at this path in a much deeper way, you know. And I remember he gave me um, uh, a Tibetan mala that was uh, a very, uh, the Karmapa thought it was really unusual because it was made out of, I know this sounds weird, but this is Buddhist stuff, was um, made out of children's, the children that had died, uh, they had taken and, and made the mala out of the skulls of, the, of them. And... Um, was actually a very uh, kind of powerful uh, object, you know. But anyway, it began a process. And the process was somewhat, in this case, was uh, the whole idea of, uh, of pilgrimage, that we have to somehow uh, leave uh, kind of the safety of our, our conditioning and step out of it, you know. And uh, in a sense, the kind of quintessential seeker, which all of you here are. You're all quintessential seekers, you know. And there's a the thing about honoring that and somehow that, uh, you know, the goal is really in some ways is not about something, in the, about getting somewhere, but it's about uh, what is it that happens here? What happens that it gives you permission, you know, to kind of loosen up some of those structures and those uh, that incessant uh, storyteller that uh, you believe so strongly, you know.
So these five spiritual faculties, they are really uh, kind of a root. Um, what is it? Uh, I could say a biochemical process, but let's just talk about cooking. Maybe that's a simpler way to talk about it. And that, um, you know, we sort of have our pot, and uh, in that there are certain uh, balances of ingredients, you know? And uh, the whole, the five spiritual faculties are the balancing of those ingredients, you know? And there is always, uh, in a sense, just to go through them again, there is the, um, uh, as the way Mary Grace went through it last night, there is uh, faith or conviction. Uh, there is um, persistence, uh, perseverance. Um, there is uh, the kind of center point mindfulness or, or memory. Uh, there is uh, concentration and there is wisdom. So these are the kind of the factors and the mixing of them uh, that uh, in some ways ha- is a formula, you know, and it's a formula for, in, in essence, it's something about uh, our ability to soften and let go, you know, and not be so fearful and controlling and contracted. You know, that's really the path itself, you know. Once we have some understanding that these, this is kind of the, the spices or the things that uh, kind of create the soup itself, uh, there is a principal ingredient. And that principal ingredient uh, is actually the truth of uh, this word mindfulness. You know. And mindfulness, I know, uh, in the kind of secular world, it's... Uh, and in therapies and all sorts of things is used uh, with many different translations, you know. But I like it really simple, you know. Uh, it is simply the mind full of the moment, you know. And that our practice is, um, is pretty much uh, the weaving uh, of forgetting and remembering because it really is, a, in a sense, a kind of remembering. And the thing that's interesting uh, about mindfulness is you know, if you've noticed, you do it for a moment and then you lose it. And you do it for a moment and you lose it, you know. So there is a weaving between the remembering, which is really in some ways mindfulness, is really sometimes translated as memory, as remembering, you know, uh, to actually be present and uh, in a sense kind of recognize that there is a composite of ingredients that goes with that. Now, if it's just simply uh, something that we can recognize in the moment, and it has no past and no future, uh, then uh, it simply uh, is, in a sense, it's not something, you know? Uh, and you could just say, well, uh, I remember at one moment, and then, you know, I think and I go off and 
maybe later I'll remember in a moment. And the practice here is, uh, in a sense, is trying to create the stability for the continuity of that mindfulness. But the mindfulness isn't something in, on its own. Because if it's just momentary, something that's, in a sense, kind of remembering presence, uh, then there has to be uh, another component. And the way I kind of experience it is that uh, what's uh, really known as uh, clear comprehension, uh, which is the, in a sense, um, uh, that that understands. And traditionally, uh, there's a way of speaking about clear comprehension that I like uh, that's you know, I, I, this is kind of a liberal, uh, certainly liberal translation in some ways of um, kind of the four kind of aspects of clear comprehension. And I always see it, I, I kind of see things, um, what, more in pictorial uh, than words themselves. And so I see it as a mandala, you know, and that mandala, that clear comprehension is, first, it's clear comprehension of purpose, you know. And so uh, there is some sense of understanding that when uh, that the mindfulness has something that's particular in it and that particularity of it is that uh, because it can't be anywhere else but here that there is a sense of uh, and the kind of the feeling base of um, what is it it's really openness you know uh, it's not cling to anything but recognizing uh, the senses in, in mind in present time, you know. And so to have a sense of clear comprehension of the purpose behind it, the understanding. And the understanding to me fundamentally uh, is based on that, um, you know, um, Years ago, when I would go to Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha uh, was enlightened, I had, uh, I had a mantra. And uh, that mantra um, has stayed with me for years. It's uh, kind of a wonderful thing. Please open my mind so my heart may follow the Dharma. Please open my mind so my heart may follow the Dharma. And it's one of the things, most, you know, power, it's a powerful place where um, people from, uh, you know, all over Asia who are Buddhists come and you can feel their uh, intention and their purpose uh, in their understanding uh, of a good heart and mind uh, that is in its process of developing, you know. So a lot of times I think clear comprehension is, uh, I love this word dharma, you know, uh, truth, uh, nature, you know, that we begin to see that uh, when there's kind of a continuity of the mindfulness itself, we begin to have insight uh, into dharma, you know, which includes the community and includes uh, this idea or 
uh, inspiration of awakening. You know, it is actually uh, somewhat your birthright uh, to acknowledge and recognize it. You know, kind of un- maybe it's uncover it. So there's clear comprehension of purpose. A second piece of the mandala is clear comprehension of um, adaptability. Um, you know, and, and I, th- I think the marvel of this is that when the mind actually keeps coming back and it begins to understand that there is intrinsically uh, an understanding or a direction uh, that is true in the simplest practice of being in the body and being with the breath, uh, that instinctively we know. And that we also have, if we can begin this process of trusting, uh, our capacity, you know, uh, that actually to stay present in the moment. And I've really, it's been a great, tr- is still a great training for me, uh, is this whole idea of that uh, if I can remember that uh, I can trust that the moment has all I need in it. It's, there's nothing about yesterday and there's nothing about tomorrow. It holds all of it for me right now. You know. And then I have to begin to acknowledge that, I, uh, you know, um, oh, I have to figure it out. Where does that come from? I have to figure it out. You know? And traditionally, it's really, I'm just afraid. You know? Of, of staying on that edge and understanding that this adaptability or suitability that's there is already built in as, as part of the kind of understanding or clear comprehension of the simplicity uh, of not, of staying, of just staying. It's a big piece because um, we, you know, in our culture, we're taught that somehow uh, we have to kind of control things and outthink things, you know, uh, which in some ways is kind of limiting the most incredible thing is this, um, you know, this brain that actually can figure things out uh, without necessarily having to chew it over all the time, you know? Have you noticed how you chew it over, you know, and then you think, oh, somehow, if I chew it enough, uh, I'll get it right, you know? But ultimately, sometimes I think, that, you know, we have such a society that's kind of based on uh, getting it right or, you know, perfection, you know? And I like some of the Zen language of the, you know, of uh, imperfection. You know, that it's okay for it to be imperfect, you know, because it actually is just the way it is. And that if you can begin to uh, recognize that you have this capacity uh, to kind of bend uh, and not uh, rigid and break, but actually bend with change, you know. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I, I love to, uh, venture out in the world, and uh, particularly the Buddhist world, um, you know, with no anchor, uh, and see what happens. You know, it's kind of fun. You know? 
So there's this adaptability and suitability. The kind of third clear comprehension uh, is really, it's defined as meditation. But in some ways, the way the description is that you start off from here and you remember and you walk out and you stay very mindful, you get up and you walk out and you're you're, uh, right on and you go out and you walk the whole way for the whole 45 minutes and the bell rings and then you suddenly forget, you know? And you come walk and you go, oh, whoa, I was supposed to say mindful, you know? And uh, in a way, uh, part of our perfection here in this uh, kind of clear comprehension or this understanding uh, is of the continuity, the continuity uh, of uh, our mindfulness, you know, and that it actually takes uh, this memory and this repetition over and over and over again uh, so that eventually this whole practice in its kind of its... um, it is profound uh, ability to kind of uh, not get lost, to stay completely uh, in the moment-to-moment awareness uh, that uh, is simply the continuity uh, without a break. I know it's a big deal, but uh, it is, uh, in a sense, uh, the intention here uh, for the clear comprehension uh, of uh, this kind of the continuity of practice itself. The fourth, a clear comprehension of purpose uh, is uh, a clear comprehension of reality. Okay, try that one on, you know. And I'm going to play with it because I like to play. And it really has to do with, uh, with two, two aspects. Uh, one of them is uh, the fundamental practice here of mindfulness is is actually the fundamental practice of letting go. And that's all it is. It's just that whatever arises, we try to remember, we let go, and we come back to here. Right? That's that's the whole game here. You know? And we start doing that over and over again. And suddenly what we're starting to experience is that things aren't as they appear to be. Okay? And that in essence the what we're looking at, uh, and it's almost like uh, the more collectedness or concentration is, uh, w- we get more and more precise, is that, uh, no, it, things aren't what they appear to be. So what are they? You know. And as we start to kind of break the things down themselves, um, you know, we can take it down to, you know, uh, the smallest matter, you know, and the smallest matter you know, it may still have, uh, what, four sides or something, you know? The smallest molecule. 
But then what's below that? What's beyond that? You know? And what's beyond that is saying that all that we're looking at here, and this is just the, this clear comprehension reality, that uh, there, this is appearance. You know? So there's an illusionary nature of everything that we're looking at. And it gives us a tremendous power to know that what we're looking at is substanceless. You know? And its appearance is that uh, in its fundamentals is just the way it is. But uh, from that kind of uh, view of the kind of rapidity and speed of how all of this is happening, uh, it is substanceless. And so it is actually uh, empty of any in separate, separate and inherent existence. Is making sense to you? You know? So separate and inherent existence, you know? And it's such a relief. It's such a relief to know you don't have to buy it. You know? You don't have to buy your thoughts. You don't have to buy how. And if you have the power to, uh, in essence, uh, let it go. You know? But now the complexity with this is that's only one side of the coin. You know? Uh, the other side of the coin is that everything is just like it is. Things appear as they are, you know? And this is kind of what the Buddhist paradox, you know, that we have one side where everything is in the power to let go of it and is uh, um, actually substanceless. And on the other, everything is exactly like it is. And so in a way, uh, we start playing, having the one power to let go and the other to be involved, you know, uh, because it is the way it is, you know. But we can always have the power to let go, and we always have the power not to be swallowed, because we know, in essence, it's not necessarily <laughs> as it appears to be. Now, is this a great news? You know, I think so. You know, <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> hope it's not too complicated. But it's, you know, it's just. This is clear comprehension of reality, the kind of the paradoxical truth, you know. One of the pieces is that that ability to, uh, the kind of substanceless of things, which is, uh, and very much uh, kind of uh, empty of any kind of inherent existence, um, is, uh, what is it? It's really a wisdom factor, you know. And when you look at things exactly as they are, you know, I was thinking today about, you know, my friends and stuff in Nepal and how, you know, they've been living outside for two and a half weeks and now another earthquake comes and kind of shakes their whole reality again, you know. And uh, that sense of how we put so much reliance on, um, in a sense, the kind of the solidness of the earth. You know, and particularly, I think those mountain people, they uh, trust it in that way, you know, and that in some ways is taken away from them, you know. And so there is actually this instinctual fear. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say the instinctual fear also has, because it is the way it is, uh, has incredible compassion in it. No. It's like I know you've all suffered here. You know, we've all been through 
sometimes phenomenal uh, difficulties, you know. But we're all here. And that because we're here, um, and we're really working on this power of seeing through or seeing into the kind of the uh, fundamentals of things, uh, is it also we're being moved, you know. We're being moved by uh, the way things are, you know. And you're going to dance with this. There's not a right or wrong, you know. There is simply, we're moved in a moment, uh, we get swallowed, we, we come back, we remember, and we let go. And it's this dance uh, that uh, we learn here. Please open my mind so my heart may follow the Dharma. So we're going to be playing with this. You know, it's not uh, one thing fits all. And I don't think there's, you know, as far as uh, mindfulness and so many of the interpretations and stuff, um, you know. Because it's something, it's one thing to the kind of dialectics and all of it and uh, different kind of schools of thought and everything. But you know what I'm talking about, you know? Uh, It's something that uh, is uh, already instinctually known by you. Just, oh, the power of presence, you know? And you have to have this kind of soup pot with uh, that capacity to kind of know about kind of the mindfulness and its uh, and a clear comprehension of how it works. And at the same time, you need these other qualities, you know, uh, which we'll be kind of uh, working with here, you know. And I was so pleased, like Mary Grace, about I, I very much like the whole uh, process here. I like the word faith, actually. I know the conviction and and confidence uh, is the translation sometimes of that word. And we have maybe a little bit funny thing there because uh, faith, by the way, when we always come into things, things, I realize that so much of my life has been, the pilgrim has been about blind faith, that we always kind of have to start with blind faith, you know? And blind faith means that, oh, there may not be so much wisdom there, uh, but... Uh, there is some uh, kind of belief in, in whether, you know, I think I started out, I had very much, uh, what do you call it, magical thinking, you know, with all this stuff. I think I was right, but anyway. <laughs> you know, um, but it was in some ways because I didn't understand. Uh, I, it wasn't presented to me. Uh, you know, I had to go through years and years of Asian, uh, sometimes not understanding complexity of all this, you know to finally, um, you know, get it in plain English, you know. So you'll have to, you, there is blind faith. It, it's, and I have, uh, I have a lot of respect, you know, and I think sometimes just coming to a retreat or trying, you know, maybe if this is your first time to Spirit Rock or, 
this blind faith, you know? You may try to get as much you can off the web, but, you know, ultimately, you have to take that risk of, oh, you know, I don't know. And can I step into not knowing of what it is, you know? And you begin, in a sense, there. Uh, and, and, of course, you have to listen to us, which is really, so there's blind faith, and then there's borrowed you know, so you borrow it a little bit from us, you know. And that's, uh, you also, you know, why you're here. Um, you know why we give talks at night? Because you get tired of your own stuff, you know. <laughs> and so we kind of fill in for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, you know, it's not a bad thing. Maybe you can learn something too. But it's, it's, it's borrowed. You know, and then the hours on the cushion, the hours of walking back and forth, and the ability to have the continuity of staying, you know, and even with the forgetfulness, you know, it's, it's really, you can only be mindful for a moment and then you're kind of gone. And, but you start remembering more and more and it starts to kind of weave itself together. And uh, my fundamental piece has been uh, you know, we're a culture that's totally disembodied. We're in our heads, you know? And this practice, fundamentally, uh, is using the most uh, kind of direct experience, which is your body, you know? Could you just keep your... If you, can keep, you know, one of my teachers would say, you know, come and go to practice, spend a 10-day retreat, and he, his comment would be, well, just keep your mind in your body the whole time. You'll be fine, you know? course that was kind of impossible situation but we are in some ways using what we have you know and uh, to fundamentally use the body uh, as a means uh, to find that verified uh, faith where we can say oh I know what it feels like I know what it feels like to be here you know and how the more moments that I do it, and then, uh, yes, I get caught and I go off and, you know, my great story of, you know, oh, I should have been here, or I should have gone to Fiji, or, you know, the wanting mind uh, kind of just takes off and, and, you know. And then you notice, oh, I've been off. And you come back and you really feel the difference. This is the whole thing of being really precise. You feel the difference between what it's like to be gone and what it feels like to be here. And that's the sensitivity that uh, we kind of encourage and support here and begins to, in a sense, start informing us more and more that, um, you know, not only in the learning, but uh, in the trusting uh, that this works, you know. So there is, in that, you know, the, with the faith, there is then uh, this ability to, you know, is it persist, you know, perseverance, to kind of stick with it. And uh, with that, uh, we kind of collect ourselves. And when we collect ourselves, then uh, we can begin to actually get a deeper uh, knowledge 
you know, that's why they call this insight practice. Insight uh, into not so much, you know, the personality stuff, but more, the Buddha was more interested in the commonality of what is it we all experience, you know? And can we kind of get through all of our stuff and get down to those fundamentals, those basics, and begin to actually experience, uh, in a sense, instead of the separateness uh, and the loneliness and the, that, uh, that uh, we create, uh, to non-separateness, you know, to the commonality, to the universal uh, truth. I think that's good. So I'll read my poem. I'm just, it's good to finish here. Mindfulness. Where was I? Dancing on some distant past, hoping, believing. This reminiscing could ultimately change the past and empower the future magically. Oh no, there I am, messing with my life again, giving myself a headache, believing in this ultimate solution. What kind of balderdash is this? Knowing somehow this is not the practice tiger chasing its tail, going in mental circles endlessly, trying to outthink my own thinking. How much simpler could it be? How much simpler could it be? Letting go of one's thoughts, constructions, mind, full of this holy presence, weaving forgetfulness with this remembering. Suddenly, the little baby turkey chicks, weaving themselves through the windy tall grass, illuminating the joy of the one who is fully present, having known what to do all along yielding everything to the present. So, just sit for a moment.
Now you have to go back to your own. <laughs>